Turn with me to Luke chapter 2, if you would please, this evening. Luke chapter number 2. We're going to look at this evening a heart, a heart to rejoice. Each of our messages, and I'll be preaching this month, themed them under uh, a heart for something, a heart uh, we looked at this morning to worship. This evening we're going to look at a, a heart to rejoice from Luke chapter number 2. The Bible says in verse number one, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all, the, all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We um, traveled Friday evening. We had our parenting conference, and we traveled, left there. Uh, It was over about, uh, we got out of there a little bit later than we planned on it, but we didn't leave here until it was after 11 o'clock Friday evening. So we were driving to Cincinnati, and I did not want to stay at my in-laws and get in there. I knew it was going to be, I knew it was going to be really uh, late, and I didn't want to bother them, and so I just said to my wife, we'll call and get a hotel and not get all the way down into Cincinnati. That way, um, we just make the rest of the trip in the morning. So we got to the hotel. It was 2.30 in the morning. I said to my wife, the kids were all sleeping. She was sleeping. I was halfway sleeping. And uh, I said, just stay here. Let me go into the hotel. I'll get us checked in, and then we'll get all our things. I walked into the hotel, and the worst news you could hear when it's 2.30 in the morning, and you're tired, and you don't feel like driving anymore. I walked in, and the guy said this. He said, I marked you as a no-show. I said, but I'm, I'm, I'm here. He said, but it's 2.30 in the morning, and I thought you weren't coming. Now, I have something that Mary and Joseph didn't have, and it's called a cell phone. And I said, you could have called me. I said, what do you want me to do now? I've got a wife, and I've got five kids. What do you want me to do? And he looked at me, and he said, I don't know. So I jumped over the counter. I grabbed him by his throat. and, and um, No, I didn't do that. I wanted to. I wanted to. I... Uh, we eventually got a room, and we got one for free that evening, which was a nice, a nice thing. But that moment, it took an hour for us to finally get, get, them, uh, get us into a room there. And it was 3.40 in the morning. We were walking into that room, and I was exhausted. And I thought about that as, imagine Mary and Joseph. Now, the difference, even with that, one big difference is this. My wife was not nine months pregnant. Could you imagine getting to that place and they say, I'm sorry, there's no place. There is no place for you to lay. No place. And you're arguing, you're saying, but my wife, she's going to have a child. And there's nothing. And then somebody had this idea that there's a a manger, a barn out back. And if you'd like to use that. You know, of all the places that could have 
birthed a child, you would think that somebody would have given up something, their room or something to help this family. But when Mary and Joseph got to this place, there was no, no room for them. But you know this, there was no, um, this was no mistake. There was no mistake. God knew this. I want to talk to you this evening about a heart to rejoice. You know, sometimes it's very difficult because of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. It's hard for us to rejoice or be happy. I know how hard it was for me to rejoice Friday morning or Saturday morning at 2.30 in the morning when they said there is no room. It was difficult for me to rejoice. I didn't get back into the car and praise anything when I said to my wife, guess what, they don't have a room for us. I got back in my car and I said, somebody's going to die. <laughs> and she said, yeah, it's you. You took care of this reservation. <laughs> it's hard to rejoice. It's hard to rejoice when things don't go the way we want them to go in life. It's hard to rejoice when, when the uh, circumstances in our life aren't quite like we want them to be. But this Christmas season, we ought to have a, a heart to rejoice. Have you ever noticed how often Christmas carols, and we've sang some this morning, we sang some this evening, and we'll sing them all month long, these Christmas carols. Have you ever, ever uh, um, noticed how many mention the word joy? What child is this? is a song, and, and there's this uh, uh, phrase in there, raise, raise the songs of high. The virgin sings her lullaby, joy, joy, for Christ is born the babe, the son of Mary. Oh, holy night, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Hark the herald angels sing, joyful, all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. Oh, come all ye faithful, the song goes on to say, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. God rest ye, merry gentlemen, oh, tidings of comfort and Joy. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. That last carol, it was the most famous, obviously, probably of all Christmas carols. It was written in 1719 by Isaac Watts. And he intended it to celebrate not Christ's birth in Bethlehem, but he wrote that to celebrate the second coming of Christ. It was the purpose of that hymn, of that Christmas song. The song, it's gained such popularity among Christians, and they sing it during the holiday season, the Christmas season, but that was, that was a song that was meant to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. When you think about the situation involving the birth of Christ, there wasn't a whole lot for them to have joy in. We went into a hotel one time, we were traveling, my wife took the bedspread. She, she goes in and she cleans before she lets the rest of us in the hotel. She's just like that. You're not allowed to sit on top of the comforter because somebody else may have. And so she takes that down. She took that down and the sheet down one time and she found a, found a coffee lid in the middle of one of the beds. She said, march down and get us a different room. And so I did, exactly like she said. She goes and inspects it. She... Um, she cleans the hotel room before we leave. I said, you know, they pay these people to do this, you know. And she says, I don't want anybody coming in here and thinking we were a mess. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine saying to my wife, there's a stable out back, and that's where Jacob's going to be born. 
Matter of fact, that when Jacob was born, they had a surf and turf dinner at the hospital for us. And she wasn't hungry, so I got two. That's why we had Kaylee, and that's why we had McKay. It was the best dinners I've had, five of them in my life. The hospital was clean, and, and the, the doctors were professional. The nurses were professional. They fed us even after the baby was born. Boy, it was a, from, from my standpoint, it was a good experience. <laughs> my wife's situation was a little bit different, but it was a good, good experience. There was no animals that were walking through the room. No dirty hay, no smell. For us to be singing about joy, I wonder what Mary and Joseph thought that evening. It's about a 90-mile trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and so they had to take that. And there was no trains, there were no planes. There was just probably an animal that she would ride upon. She's nine months pregnant, and, and probably that animal, no matter how comfortable that animal was, it probably wasn't comfortable for a woman that was ready to give birth to a child. 90-mile trip. No place to lay their head. No place to, to get in um, from, the, from, from the cold. No place to, to get in in, 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 in a clean environment, a, a sanitary environment. And when Mary says to Joseph, we're going to have this child, they probably weren't all excited. This is wonderful. We have no hotel room. We've traveled 90 miles from home. Your doctors aren't here. No, nothing's here. That, but there is a barn. Let's rejoice. That's probably not how that story went. Yet everything from the time that Jesus was born to now, everything about his birth is a reason to rejoice. It's a reason to rejoice. Could you imagine what Mary thought when the shepherds came? Could you imagine what the Mary thought when, when those around heard about the birth of Jesus and they came and they rejoiced with her? I believe at that time, the Bible says she pondered those things in her heart. Probably at that time, she began to really see the effects, the fact that Jesus Christ was born. I'll mention some things about one of our children's birth. And you know, sometimes most of the things I remember, my wife says, I don't even remember that. I've said, boy, you are, you are screaming. You are in pain. She says, I don't remember that. The reason why she doesn't remember that is because she's holding that child in her arms. And she remembers and loves that child. But all during the Christmas season, we sing about joy. Christ's arrival on earth, it was a very dark time in history. It was a time in history where, where, where the Romans were conquering the world and the Romans weren't pleasant. If you did something against their law, they'd crucify you. They, it wasn't like our court systems today. People think today that there's injustices in our court systems. Could you imagine being alive in, in that world? It was very barbaric. They were giving birth to a child. I, I often have said this. I wonder what the world's going to be like when my children have children. And it kind of scares me. And here's a family bringing a child into the world at a very dark time in that world. It was difficult to say we are under Roman rule. We are under Roman bondage. And, 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 and uh, we're in a place where the world is, is, is a dark place. And we're bringing children into this world. That wasn't a reason for joy. Yet joy is all around the Christmas season in the birth of Christ. 
Psalm 16.11 says this, That will show me the path of life. In the presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You know, Christmas, Christmas is about declaring that there is joy to be found because of Jesus Christ, not because of the circumstances we find all around us. Christmas is about declaring that there is joy to be found because Jesus' name is Emmanuel, which means this, God with us. When Mary gave birth to that child, you know what she gave birth to is God with us. The manger wasn't the issue anymore. The no room in the inn wasn't the issue anymore. The fact of the matter was this. When that baby was born, God with us. That is a reason that we can have a heart of joy. That is a reason for us to rejoice. And I want to look at a few thoughts here this evening. The first thing I want you to see is this. There's joy in his providence. There's joy in his providence. In verse number one and two, the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. That's not something to take joy in either. They're under a foreign government rule. They're under the Roman rule. And what they say is, is we're going to tax the entire world. You're going to pay tax not to your country, but to someone else. A ruler that's conquered your land now is requiring everybody in their land to go back to their home and to give money to this foreign government or to this foreign king. Yet there is joy in his providence. And, and, and we find in verse number two, the Bible says, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Chapter two begins with the fact that all the world is going to be taxed. And this decree goes out from, from, the, uh, the, from Caesar Augustus and from Cyrenius, the governor. And everyone in those days, the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, were challenged. They were challenging and demanding the Jewish people to pay a tax. How many of you love paying taxes? Could you imagine if you had to draw, uh, go 90 miles? To go pay your taxes with a wife that was expecting to a foreign government this great military power in all the world they've conquered and they've they're occupying israel and now they're requiring all of israel's citizens to pay a tax to this government yet there's a reason to rejoice we find this to be true that god had a plan we find this, that he, the reason why there's joy in his providence is, first of all, he originates history. All history comes from God. There was a little, a young uh, boy that, uh, in a history class. He's getting a, li- a history lesson. One of the teachers tried to impress upon her, uh, her students the advantage of peace in disarmament. And she asked the class, how many of you object to war and think it's a bad thing? And this young man, he raised his hand and he said, I, I object to war and I, I think it's a, a bad thing. And she said, why do you object, object to war? He said, because wars make history. And I really object to history. <laughs> you know, regardless whether what you think of history, God is the author And God is the one that has caused this story of mankind, the redemption of mankind to take place. 
We find that there's joy in his providence. No, you look at the situation, and I'm sure the inn was a better place for Mary to stay. Inside of the inn would have been a better choice for her to have that child. I'm sure it would have even been for her to have it at home instead of having to travel this 90 miles to Bethlehem. I'm sure there's a lot of things that could have been different if Mary and Joseph would have had their way. But the fact of the matter is there is joy in his providence. There's joy because God originates history. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, God wrote history with the prophecies, with the prophets. He, he told in, in, in over 350 times in the Old Testament, prophecies were given concerning Jesus and his birth. This was no accident. This was not just a, a happen chance that, that, that uh, the governor and, and Caesar Augustus says, I want the world to be taxed. There was going to have to be an incident that took place that would get Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem so that Mary, not to pay taxes in Bethlehem, but so that Jesus Christ would be born. Not Caesar had nothing to do with this. God was using Caesar Augustus to get Mary to a place because over 350 times in the Old Testament, Testament, God prophesied through his prophets that Jesus Christ was going to come from where? Bethlehem. So we find, we find that God is originating history. God, it all begins with what God wants and what he desires. Isaiah 7.14, Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. But God didn't just prophesy the birth of his son. He also made it come to pass. He didn't just say it was going to happen. It actually happened. In 1 Timothy 3.16, the Bible says this, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believed on the world, received up into glory. 1 Peter 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 9, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Not only does God originate history, God also orchestrates history. He also orchestrates it. The uh, theologian A.T. Pearson said this, history is his story. President Garfield said it, it this way, history is unrolled, is, is the unrolled scroll of prophecy. And how wonderful there was a script written by God long before, long before us, long before we were ever born. All the events of the world, everything that's going to transpire in this world, God knows and it has originated from God. Nothing surprises God. That ought to give us a reason this evening to rejoice. Nothing in your life surprises God. No event surprises God. You know this, even the election that happened back in November, it didn't surprise God. When we were worried and we were scared and we were wondering what was going to happen, God didn't lose any sleep. I mentioned this the other night, you know, as a new year is coming, I uh, think back, remember, how many of you remember Y2K? Remember that? All the bottles of water and the food and, you know, everyone's worrying the world's going to end. 
One of the only nights that I really actually stayed up and cared about the ball dropping was that night. And, and the reality was this. Some of the world was already celebrating the new year. And nothing happened. And so then we thought, well, wait till it gets to America. Then maybe. Nothing happened. You know, we can live in fear and we can be afraid and we can be afraid of the unknown and we can put our thoughts into, into bondage and, and be upset and stress ourselves out. The reality is this, God knows the history. God knows the future. God, he is the author of it. Nothing, nothing ever gets by God. There was never a time in, in human events where God said, how did that happen? That one caught us off guard. God, through his prophets, prophesied that a Messiah was going to come, prophesied the location of it, prophesied the virgin birth, prophesied through the line and lineage of David. And guess what happened on this night? Exactly what God said was going to happen, happened. We can rejoice in that. We serve a God that writes history. We serve a God that tells his prophets that something's going to happen. They preach, thus saith the Lord, and what they preach actually happens to the detail. Jeremiah 1.12 said this, Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. Caesar Augustus was the most powerful ruler in the known world at that time. His empire was vast. His empire stretched across the known world. He ruled with an iron fist, using his great army to, to keep order, maintain uh, the, the, the Romans' roads, uh, among other things. And when Caesar issued this order, what Caesar was doing is he was acting acting by the hand of God. Caesar thought, because I'm the most powerful man in the world, I'm going to make this happen. And God said this, as I'm sitting on my throne, Caesar, you are nothing. I can just orchestrate whatever I want. He can use whatever he wants, whoever he wants, to orchestrate what he wants. And that's exactly what he did with Caesar. He used Caesar Augustus to get Jesus, his mother, and Joseph there into Bethlehem so that, that they were born, he was born there in Bethlehem. You say, how do you know this can take place? Proverbs 21, 1 says this, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. God can turn the hearts of the king. God sets up kingdoms and God tears down kingdoms. God sets up kings and God tears down kings. There's not one ruling on this earth that is there because God couldn't control the events of, the, of this world. Each one is there. Each kingdom is there all through history. Daniel is a book of prophecy that we write and, and we read of this great, this great uh, 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 statue and we see of the feet and we see of the, the, uh, uh, each part of the bodies all the way down to the last uh, one world government that when the Antichrist will come and rule from that and everything that Daniel prophesied, it came true and there's still a portion waiting for us to be seen and that is when the uh, 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 one world government one world religion one world economy when the antichrist he sets up his kingdom upon this world it was prophesied all the way back in daniel and it's going to happen and we know it's going to happen and it says it's going to happen and how it's going to happen in the book of revelation god orchestrates all of that believer this evening we've got a god that orchestrates all of history why would we not take the opportunity to rejoice? 
What could be happening in our life that would think that everything is spiraling out of control and that God can't help us when everything about God says that he is in control, that he is the originator of history, that he is the author of history, that he orchestrates history. Everything that happens in this world happens because of the hand of God. I'm thinking of Job. Job was one that was gone through many, many trials Job was one where his children were killed, his finances were taken, everything Job had was taken. He had boils, he's sitting on this, this ash heap, and he's in pain, and, and, and he's lost everything that he loves, and he's sitting there, and he won't, he won't deny God, he won't curse God and die. Why? Because he realized this, that everything good comes from God. When there's bad in their life, it's because God allows it. There's no sense of us getting fearful, there's no sense of us stressing out, there's no sense of us thinking that God is not in control. Even when things in our life aren't the way that we plan them to be, God is still in control. God used Caesar to fulfill his plan. What Caesar thought was his plan, it was God's plan. Think about that. Here's Caesar, the, 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 the ruler of the world. I am going to send out a decree that all the world will be taxed. Here's big Caesar, the king of the world, the one that is, is issuing this degree, decree so that, that he can get riches at, that, uh, from, from those countries that he has taken over. But God is the one that says, Caesar, I'm using you to get my plan to take place. He sends out this decree. Micah 5, 2, But thou, Bethlehem, thou, uh, though thou be little among thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, of the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. All the way back in Micah, in the Old Testament, here we find it's prophesied that out of Bethlehem is going to come the ruler of Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. All the way back in the Old Testament, the prophet prophesied through inspiration of God, he prophesied that out of Bethlehem, listen to me, it was no mistake, there was no mistake at all that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. There went no mistake at all that Joseph, who was from the line and lineage of David, who lived in Nazareth, had to get his family to Bethlehem. There was no mistake at all. This was not by the hand of Caesar. This is by the hand of God. And listen, as I see this this evening, I take note to this, that sometimes there's events that happen in our life that we don't understand. There's sometimes there's events that happen in our life that just don't make sense. And we wonder, is it this person causing us grief? Is it this job causing us grief? Is it this employer causing us grief? God can use man to accomplish his will in our lives. God used Caesar to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. Because God's word said from Bethlehem, the ruler of Israel was going to come. Micah 5 2. Nothing that happens in this world can ever override God's pre-written timetable of biblical prophecies. Nothing. Nothing. Do you realize this this evening? Revelation has been written. And there's nothing in this world that can override the fact that God has prophesied what the end is going to look like. 
You look in the end of the, your Bible, the very last part of your Bible, all the way back in, in Revelation here, if you turn to the last page of your Bible, Revelation chapter 22, you know what it says there? The end. The end. You know what that means? Nothing's going to be changed. There's never been an event in time where God said we're going to have to change what my word said is going to happen. It's never been a thought. It's never been a consideration. Everything that God said was going to happen, nothing in this world can override God's pre-written timetable of biblical prophecies. We need to realize this this evening, that God, He is in control, that God is sovereign, and even when we don't see Him working, He is always working. Even when we don't see and understand his working, I can imagine Joseph saying, on top of the fact, on top of the fact that nine months ago, an angel came to me and told me that we're going to have a child. And I had to explain this one to my family. On top of the fact that, that uh, 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 our whole life has been messed up and changed, on top of all those things, guess what we got to do now, Mary? We've got a trip to go on. I can imagine him going in there and coming back out and saying, Mary, on top of everything, I, don't, I know this doesn't make sense. I know everything that we've gone through over the last nine months. I realize this, but I just went in and there's no room in the inn. There's nowhere. And it's not like Joseph could pull up the internet and say, what's the next best hotel, Siri? <laughs> I know, Mary, you've been through all of these things the last several months, but Mary, we're going to have to stay in this, this barn. And I think Mary is probably like every other woman that was going to give birth to a child. A barn wasn't the location that she would have picked. Yet there was a reason to rejoice because God had everything in control. Now, I'm not talking about the 90-mile trip to Bethlehem or the virgin birth or, or you having to give birth in a barn, but I'm wondering in your life this evening, has there any events that have ever taken place where you wonder, God, do you understand what you're doing? Maybe it's a loss of a job. Maybe it's a sickness. I was talking to Paul Taylor's father. Paul Taylor, uh, the last several years of his family's life has been a difficult year. Within the last five years or so, they buried Paul's grandfather. Within the last year and a half or so, Paul has one sister that passed away. She was 39. Paul was there in the middle, and Paul had two, has two uh, brothers that are twin brothers that are a few years younger than him. And in the last couple years, as I was talking to Paul's father last evening, we were sitting there in the fellowship hall at the church, and he was just in tears. He was saying this. He said, boy, so much has happened in our life. Paul's youngest twin, one of his twins, had cancer. 
Paul wanted to, uh, they were, uh, his brother was trying to have children and, and wasn't able to have children. And, and uh, uh, they found out the reason that they weren't able to have uh, children because of this cancer that he had and, and went in and, and had to have this, this lump removed. And, and then because of that, the doctor sat in that, that room with he and his wife and said this, because of this, you'll never have children. While that was going on, his other twin brother, pastors in Pennsylvania, had a surgery take place, and the doctor really butchered that surgery up, and, and, and he almost uh, went home and, and uh, almost bled out there at home, put four, four uh, 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 bags of blood when he came back into the operating room thinking that he was going to die. And he says, and I just buried my 39-year-old daughter. He said, over the last five years, it's just seemed like it's been one hurt after another. As he was telling me that Paul's brother that had the cancer came into the room and he had a baby in his arms. The doctor was sitting there telling Paul's brother that he has this cancer and because of this surgery he's never going to be able to have children and what the doctor did not know while he's telling Paul and, and uh, Paul's brother and his wife that they were never going to have children she was expecting And the situation with his brother getting through this where the doctor said he's not going to make it and, and pretty much perform the surgery thinking that it wasn't going to help his, his other brother. And his brother then got up and preached the message yesterday at a funeral that probably one of the best messages at a funeral I've ever heard about Christ. You know, we don't always understand what God's doing in our life. We look at sickness, we look at death, we look at pain, we look at financial disaster, we look at so many situations in our life in what we must consider that Romans 8.28 is still in the Bible and it always will be there and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. We don't have to understand everything in order for us to rejoice. We just have to take confidence in the fact that God does. He knows. He's in control. Boy, if he loved Mary, why wouldn't he give Mary a better place to have Jesus? If he loved Jesus, why did he make Jesus, his mother, travel 90 miles? Because prophecy needed to be fulfilled. There are some times in our life that things happen that we don't understand. It seems difficult. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem like God cares. But the reality is this, that God does care and God does have a plan. And what we need to do is rest and rejoice in the fact that he never fails. Never fails. There's no plan that happens in our life that God fails at. He's always right. Mary and Joseph are in a situation. Is it difficult to rejoice? Of course it's difficult to rejoice. Circumstances aren't the way it needs to be. But we must rest and find joy in the fact that He is God. Secondly and lastly, I want to close with this. We can find this. There's joy in His presence. The Bible says in verse number 6 of this chapter, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in the manger, because there was no room for them 
in the end. God could have given us anything. But he knew what we needed most. And so on a long prophesied night in a stable, in a town of Bethlehem, he gave us his presence. He gave us Jesus. Probably a very difficult travel and very difficult evening for Mary and Joseph. And the answer to their pain was Jesus. The answer to their trip was Jesus. Think about it. There she is, traveling far from home, having to pay taxes to some foreign government. I mean, everything in life just didn't seem fair. Everything doesn't seem right. She's traveling this 90 miles. There's no place in the inn. And what, does the, what is the answer God gave them? Jesus. His presence. Listen to me. The same is the answer He gives you and He gives me. In any time there's some situation in our life that we don't understand, you know what He gives us? Jesus. Whatever you're going through in life, the answer is Christ. And that's why when you go through the Bible and you begin to study the names of Jesus, you know what you find out? He's everything you need. He's the friend that sticketh closer to their brother. He's a help to those that need help. He's strength to those that are weak. He's mighty. He's a mighty fortress. He's the rock upon the one we build our life upon. He is the great I am. Everything we need in life, the answer is Jesus. And when we have a need, he is always there. He's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's the, he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You just go through the Bible. He's the Rose of Sharon. Every single time there's a need, the answer is Jesus. You could be in the most horrific situation in all of your life. You say to yourself, how did I get here? You can take joy, not in the situation, but you can take joy in his presence. He's there with you. Every trial you face, Jesus is there with you. Every burden you carry, Jesus is there. Matter of fact, Jesus says this, take my yoke upon you. I'll take yours and you take mine. I'll carry, I'll carry your burden. I'll carry your yoke. Whatever you need, I will be there. If you've got someone that you need to go to to prayer, he's there interceding for us in, 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 on our behalf. Everything you need, the answer is always Jesus. At this Christmas season, How can we have a heart of joy? How can we have a heart of rejoicing? How can we look at the struggles in life that we're facing and have faced and are going to face? How can we get up tomorrow morning knowing that this world is getting worse and worse? How can we face the pain of tomorrow? How can we go knowing that they're waiting for a doctor's appointment about that word cancer we heard in our body? How can we face another funeral? How can we face another uh, despairing time in our life? How do we face this? can because of the presence of Jesus Christ. There's no difficulty you have this evening. 
that Jesus is not sufficient. And listen to me tonight, I'm not minimizing anyone's great problems. I'm just maximizing our God. Your problems could be great, but your Savior is greater. No matter how great that problem is, you've got a Savior that you can have joy in His presence.